African-American teenager was shot and killed by police in the St. Louis suburb of Ferguson, Missouri. But there are conflicting reports about what led up to the shooting. NBC's John Yang has the details. On the streets of Ferguson, Missouri, outrage and anger. No Protesters of different ages and races demanding answers in the shooting death of 18-year-old Michael Brown at the hands of a policeman. Investigators said at about noon Saturday, the officer who hasn't been identified encountered Brown and another man on the street in an apartment complex. There was a struggle and one of the men pushed the officer into his car. Within the police car, there was a struggle over the officer's weapon. There was at least one shot fired within the car. The struggle spilled out onto the street where Brown, whom investigators say was not armed, was fatally shot. Police have shot this man for no reason. Piaget Crenshaw, who took the cell phone video, says she saw those shots from her apartment balcony. He's running this way. He turns his body towards this way, hands in the air, being compliant. He gets shot in his face and chest and goes down and dies. Witnesses said Brown's body lay in the street for hours. I'd like everybody here to appreciate that it took a very long time yesterday to process the, process the scene. The shooting sparked a furious reaction. Police responded in force, brandishing assault rifles. Give us the serenity to understand things. Michael Brown graduated from high school earlier this spring and was to begin college next week. His mother, Leslie McSpadden, has a message for the officer who killed him. You're not God. You don't decide when you're going to take somebody from her. If that was the case, I brought him her. I should have took him from her. That was mine. That belonged to me. Here at the spot where Michael Brown was killed, hundreds still gathering with calls for an even bigger rally tomorrow at the police station. Thank you for joining me. The Working Class Observer, the Class Warfare Report. That was a report by NBC right after the Michael Brown shooting. And I begin with that because I spent two minutes this morning hearing the most vile worst shit I could possible. And it begins right here. Yes, the university that is not a university, PragerUniversity.com, released a video just last night in the middle of the darkness called The Ferguson Lie. Now, I don't know if everyone's familiar, but last year they, they released a video called The Charlottesville Lie. The unfortunate thing about PragerU videos is that they try to condense very complex issues, events, into five-minute bites of essentially what is propaganda. It's five-minute digestible bullshit passed around. As you can see here, this Ferguson video on uh, YouTube has about 200,000 views. That means PragerU reached 2,200... Oh, sorry. I apologize. 224,501. That one must be me. Views. 
Here it is. Before we even get into it, a couple comments in the in 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 the uh, comment section. One of the most popular says, "Reality is irrelevant to many many people." I deeply applaud those who attempt to educate and eliminate ignorance. Bravo, Prager. I wouldn't say that Prager is interested in educating or eliminating ignorance. That's my personal opinion. The next highest comment. Many white liberals have adopted blacks as mascots in order to make a statement against American society, but mascots are only symbols, and their well-being is seldom a top priority. Apparently a quote from Thomas Sowell. Sowell, I don't fucking know. And then the highest of the high says, Such a shame that America has such a horrible media that will lie for their own benefit. As if PragerU would not do the same thing. Unfortunately, in researching this, I did discover mainstream media did a shit job at covering the Michael Brown incident. The murder, I mean. They did terrible. Terrible. Everything I did in preparation of this, you know, research or even just viewing, I previewed, uh, I, uh, I, I pursued many sources in trying to figure out how I wanted to look at this video, and we're going to have to just uh, move with it as we go along. Up here at the top in my tabs, you can see that I already have a few points that I want to get into based off of the halfway mark that I got into this video before I knew that this is some dog shit that I'm going to have to put in a bag and throw away. That's fascinating. It's fascinating that two of the highest comments, one about education and elimination of ignorance, and the other one that says horrible media that will lie for own benefit, do not take the time to research the information disseminated in this five-minute video. It's unfortunate because we find these sources and authorities that we think are legitimate, think are worthy of listening to, and they actually work on their own. PragerU exists for its own sake. It is a for-profit machine. So, let's get into the sickness. One of the most significant events of this century happened in early afternoon of August 9, 2014. It took place in Ferguson, Missouri, a city on the outskirts of St. Louis. So embedded in the popular mind is this event that if you just say the name Ferguson, everyone knows what you're talking about, police brutality and racial injustice. President Barack Obama referred to it in a speech before the United Nations in September 2014. I know the world also took notice of the small American city of Ferguson, Missouri, where a young man was killed and a community was divided. So yes, we have our own racial and ethnic tensions. The president understated the case. The shooting in Ferguson led to nights of riots and gave fuel to a new social movement, black. I would like to just pause for a second that, you know, I, uh, I do agree. Uh, I feel like Obama underhandled it and also understated the situation. I agree with that, that point. 
Um, but one thing we do have to mention is that the relevancy of right now of how understated Trump is making it. And in fact, actually making it worse. That's a, that's a willful ignorance right here from PragerU. Nick Tensions. The Focus president understated the case. The shooting in Ferguson led to nights of riots and gave fuel to a new social movement, Black Lives Matter. Given its historical importance, it would be useful then to make sure we have our facts straight. So here's a quiz to test your knowledge. First question, true or false? A young... And this is the dangerous thing of saying, here's a quiz to test your knowledge of what's going on, because I thought that this was going to be um, an actual analysis of the story itself. But when what's really going on here is Prager saying, is this true? Or, or Prager's essentially just saying, this is true and this is false. They are in control now of this pop quiz. And the next, the following steps are going to be whether or not they're going to tell you parts of the narrative that are out there are true or false. They're, go they're essentially telling you straight up with no filter what to believe. They are the filter of what to believe. Unarmed black man Michael Brown, 19, was killed by a white police officer, Darren Wilson. The answer is true. That was an easy one, wasn't it? True or false? Wilson stopped Brown for no good reason. False. Wilson, driving a police SUV, had just received a call on his radio that a local convenience store had been robbed. He saw two men walking in the middle of the nearby street who met the description of the store thieves. Wilson drove up to them. When he asked the two men to move to the sidewalk, one of the men, Michael Brown, refused. Officer Wilson then attempted to get out of his car, but Brown blocked the door, punching the officer through the open window. As Brown tried to grab Wilson's gun, a struggle ensued. Wilson managed to fire his gun, wounding Brown in the hand. True or false? Michael Brown. So there's a lot to break up there. And there's a lot of details of the actual eyewitness accounts that were not the cops. Not included in that uh, whole description. So Prager U automatically being um, a bit biased by taking only the police's uh, account as the truth and considering the eyewitness discredited uh, and that's why I think it's important that we go into a certain source here to figure out whether or not them even stopping Michael Brown was that credible so not that one and I also found um, New York Times here that has a timeline of what happened. Now, unfortunately, it was updated August 10th of 2015, a year later after the events. Um, sometimes they include what was updated in the lower half, so let's check. Scroll all the way to bottom, because sometimes they will say these are the updates and why. Unfortunately here, that is not, con not included. Not included. So we don't know what the updates are. Um, the only update I have seen that was obvious is said uh, right here what happened on the anniversary uh, of the Michael Brown's death. Only apparent update I could see. So, and New York Times also has a timeline here. 
So I'm not saying that New York Times necessarily has it right, nor am I saying that PragerU necessarily has it right. I'm merely saying that we look at a couple sources that are from the time or, in fact, uh, documented right now. So this came, I assume, some of this came from the time that it happened. The timeline around the time that it had happened after investigations were taken, eyewitness accounts were taken, uh, testimonies were taken, this, that, and the other. 11.54 a.m., Michael Brown and Dorian Johnson leave Ferguson Market and Liquor. Surveillance video shows Mr. Brown stealing some cigarillos. They walk along West Florissant Avenue and then in the middle of the street on Canfield Drive. Now, I'll get to the surveillance video of Brown stealing some cigarillos in a minute because that's actually pretty essential to the justification narrative of uh, Wilson stopping him. At 12.01, Officer Darren Wilson arrives alone in his police vehicle, speaking through his window. He tells the two men to move to the sidewalk. He sees that Mr. Brown fits the description of a suspect in a convenience store theft. Now, this is important, 12.01 p.m., saying that Mr. Brown fits the description. What's really, really sick is I found the police radio transmissions from that time. Let's listen. What is the description? Let's listen for it. They clearly say the description. So here in the video, it's giving us a bit of a timeline, though, and it says, Shortly before noon, Michael Brown enters the Ferguson Market and grabs a box of cigarillos. A customer calls 911 while Brown is still in the store. The dispatcher first reports the robbery over police radio at approximately 11.53 a.m. This is from the Washington Post. Okay, we're taking a stealing in progress from 9101 West Florissant, 9101 West Florissant. We have the location. Subject may be leaving the business at this time. Stand by for further. I'm clear. I'm right here. 25 heads to the scene. The officers refer to as 25. There is the description. That is the description. And I will place it, I will play it up to the point where Darren Wilson recognizes, but that is the only description that they give in this entire, entire uh, annotation of the radio transmissions. It says, I'll play it again. 25, it's going to be a black male in a white t-shirt. A black male in a white t-shirt. How fucking broad is that description? We're looking for a black male in a white t-shirt with cigarillos. Are you fucking kidding me? And how many of these sources that I've seen that just blanketly, blanket statements say that Brown fits the description of a suspect... Bruh, how many people that day fit that fit that description? How many people that day fit that description? I would like to know. Still, I am not saying that he didn't steal the cigarillos or that he uh, there wasn't an altercation at the convenience store. The only thing I wish to point out in this point right now is that their description was a black male in a white t-shirt. There was no height. There was no hat. There was no shoes. There was no backpack, which he had, just a black male in a white t-shirt. Let's listen to the rest of the transmissions. Running 
quick trip. He took a whole box of Swisher cigars. Black male, white T-shirt. That's affirmative. She said he just walked out of the store. I don't see anybody running out here. She said he was walking, but he headed up toward Quick Trip from 9101. Approximately 20 seconds pass. Does she have any further? Negative. There's nobody walking out here with a white T-shirt. That's Officer 25. You'll have to contact her for further, then that's all she could give me. Approximately two minutes pass. An officer referred to as 22 thinks he may have spotted the suspect. 22, I'm sending with a report from the last. Do you have any further description on that mail? I have a mail. Now let's focus there. Do you have any further description on that mail? Those are his specific words. Let's read the whole quote here. 22, I'm 10-8 with a report from the last. Do you have any further description on that mail? Thank you. I'm sending with a report from the last. Do you have any further description on that mail? I have a mail with a white t-shirt and black pants. And he happens to find a mail with a white t-shirt, black pants, and a backpack on Sharon Dale. Now, does anybody think to contact the uh, accuser of this, uh, uh, of this crime to confirm the rest of his outfit? Sharon Dale? No. No one does. Approximately one minute passes. He's, uh, he's with another male. Now, was that described to anybody earlier? No. Now they are simply profiling Michael Brown because they spot him with the broad connection that he's a black male with a white t-shirt. He's got a red Cardinals hat, white t-shirt, yellow socks, and khaki shorts. He's Officer 25 is trying to actually get a better description of Michael Brown right now. He's giving it out, trying to see if he can get a confirmation on this description. And what do they get? Nothing. Officer Darren Wilson later testified that he heard this description over the radio. So, Michael Brown is spotted at one point. And because Officer Darren Wilson testifies right here that this description, he heard it over the radio. So they identify Michael Brown and his friend at one point based off of the black male white t-shirt. And then they further describe him later. That's when Darren Wilson recognizes him. He said he didn't respond because he was answering another call. Approximately two to three minutes pass. Rilson, referred to as Frank 21 or 21, finishes call and checks in with the dispatcher. Frank 21. Frank 21. Today, with a report. Disappeared. 
At approximately 12.01 p.m., Wilson sees Brown and a friend walking down Canfield Drive. He later testified that he noticed Brown's yellow socks. Now, reminder, this is a description off of what Officer 25 had saw based off of the description of a black male in a white t-shirt. So, after recognizing his yellow socks, he tells them to walk on the sidewalk. According to Wilson, Brown responds with profanities. Wilson testified that he then noticed the cigarillos in Brown's right hand. Now, was it a whole box? Or was it just a few? Was it just one pack? It's unclear. So Wilson calls for backup. 21, put me on Canfield. What's who? Send me in our car. 21, you're out on Canfield. 24, I'm 24 is responding to your location on Canfield. The confrontation resulting in Brown's death occurs over the next two minutes. Wilson later testified that he radioed shots fired, send me more cars. The Washington Post requested police radio transmissions made from the day of the shooting. The 53 auto files the city of Ferguson released did not include Wilson's shot fired transmission. Officers 23 and 25 are now at the scene. Two minutes later, an ambulance is on its way. Dispatchers scramble to send more units as a crowd gathers. I'm going to pause it here for a quick bathroom break. Unprofessional as it may be, it is needed. I can tell you that much. I drink so much fucking water. All right. 
25. The worst. 25. Get us several more units over here. There's going to be a problem. It's fascinating that they need a lot more units because they already know that there's going to be a problem. Can respond to Canfield and Copper Creek advised. 27, I'm leaving the station. You need me to go over there? They're requesting more units at Canfield and Copper Creek. I'll also contact St. Louis County PD. 27, the rest. We're going to need crowd control here. Contact in St. Louis County. Yep. St. Louis so they County. already saw the uh, crowds gathering at that time and knew that there was a lot of frustration and anger because there's, there's uh, many eyewitness accounts. So um, I just wanted to highlight there that the <laughs> PragerU left out a lot of information on even the description of michael brown and new york times is also guilty of the same thing the only thing that made him a suspect was being a black male in a white t-shirt walking down that area so we know from the video that there was an altercation and that mike brown was involved in it i still do not agree with the methodology here i do not the methodology is what I have a problem with. And it goes all the way down to the point that they shot him. So, let's get back to PragerU. No, I feel like we're still missing some things. Because PragerU discussed how uh, Michael uh, started the altercation with a punch uh, to the officer. Now, his friend... Dorian Johnson said that an altercation ensued when Brown attacked Wilson in his police vehicle for control of Wilson's gun. Oh, no, that's not uh, that's not what Dorian Johnson said. I apologize. It's actually what Darren Wilson, the officer, said that an altercation ensued when Brown attacked Wilson uh, in his police vehicle for control of Wilson's gun until it was fired. Dorian Johnson, Michael Brown's friend, claimed that Wilson initiated a confrontation by grabbing Brown by the neck through his car window, threatening him, and then shooting at him. So, if Dorian Johnson, an eyewitness account and friend of Michael Brown, is to believe, then from where I'm standing, Wilson had a damn near attempt to kill. Because his gun was active well into already active uh, excessive force and I could see Brown trying to push back Wilson's gun as he pulls it from his holster and Wilson flipping that as him Brown actually going for Wilson's gun which you know doesn't really make sense to me because we all know that you can't just grip a gun out of an officer's belt without unclipping the holster or are they all not held in holsters is, is is that just really easy to pull out from any side? So, it's just the conflicting stories uh, that makes this an even harder issue and why I have a bigger problem with PragerU not covering all sides of it.
because it is very complex and you need to take in consideration of eyewitness accounts, police accounts, and uh, the investigations that followed in their accounts of what happened. All of that needs to be collected into a video that describes the Ferguson situation, not just out light, outright calling it a lie because it doesn't agree with the narrative you choose to believe. So. Thieves. Wilson drove up to them. When he asked the two men to move to the sidewalk, one of the men, Michael Brown, refused. Now, that's not what I've heard. And uh, I actually had heard that uh, Jones, or uh, Johnson, Dorian Johnson, actually informed the officer that they were just a couple minutes out. Uh, from home, that they were just a minute away from home and that they would be out of the way. There is no mention of that in the police uh, account. Apparently, Michael Brown uh, just shouted profanities at the officer, which, you know, for some people, disrespecting the police is justification enough for a murder. So, or a state-sanctioned murder, I should say. Officer Wilson then attempted to get out of his car, but Brown blocked the door punching the officer through the open window. As Brown tried to grab Wilson's gun... Now, him getting out of the car, I'm not even sure that was in uh, Wilson's account, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, it just, yeah, ensued when Brown attacked Wilson. Um, you know, we can go to... You know, if we're going to be, if I'm going to talk high and mighty about fair and balance, might as well. See how much this PragerU video actually matches up with. Joining you with breaking news from Ferguson, Missouri. Tonight, frustration is still palpable. And you're driving to lunch, and what do you see? I see two individuals who I later became to know as Dorian Johnson and Michael Brown. You didn't know then? No, I did not. I saw them walking in the middle of the street, single file, on the double yellow line. I had stopped in front of them and let them walk up towards me. But you're still in the car? Yes. I never even put the car in park. I had it in drive. And as they walked up, I had asked Dorian Johnson, who was the first one, to walk on the sidewalk. And his reply was, well, we're almost to our destination. There we go. And I was like, okay, well, what's wrong with the sidewalk? And then as he passed, he just kept walking, ignoring that, is when Michael Brown came next, and he had exchanged some explicit words with me. He had said, uh, what you have to say. First words to you. Yes. And when I look... And um, another thing to, to take into account is that Missouri, Ferguson, Missouri, did not flip out over just Michael Brown. They have a history, and... They have their own relationships with their police that I, I shouldn't have to explain is extremely nuanced and complex. And for you to understand, you would have to actually interview the people who live there. So for Michael Brown's reaction to, to authority to be like, fuck you, got to understand the complexities of the situation before you're going to go like he's just disrespectful to authority. Because honestly, I sit on the side of question most authority like if not all so
looked at them, you know, as law enforcement, we're always trained to look at people's hands. The hands are what will hurt you. And I noticed that his right hand was full of cigarillos. And it kind of all clicked then, you know, the call out. Handful of cigarillos. Now, was that the specific box that was reported stolen? Or was it just a pack of cigarillos inside of his hand? This other contradiction, or I guess not even contradiction, but conflicting in many accounts part makes it even more difficult to understand how they've led to the conclusion that Michael Brown was the one to be apprehended. I heard I was in the vicinity of where they were going. Um, cigarettes were in his hand. Dorian Johnson was wearing a black shirt. And that's when it hit me that these... The fact that Dorian Johnson was wearing a black shirt is completely irrelevant. Were the suspects from that stealing? He was aggressive in his manner. Yes. Say cigarettes in his hand. Did you have any? That had nothing to do with the dispatcher and the description of the suspect until they had already uh, pointed out Michael Brown and Dorian walking. So that was already established, not from the description of the witness of the crime, but from the cops finding him earlier in the day. Sense that he might be armed. I did not know. I, mean, I, I had no idea. Got on the radio and I asked for assistance. What happens next? I backed up because they had kept walking, ignored everything. I had You're said. still in the car. I'm still in the car. I then put the car in reverse. And I'm pretty sure in this audio, um, he did not call for backup until... He did not call backup until shots were already fired. Let's take it back. Yep. So we have here 1201, him recognizing Brown off of the description. They have their exchange with the profanities. He noticed the cigarillos in his right hand. Um, I guess that, there it is. Put me on Canfield with two and send me another car. He does ask for backup for one more car. 24 response. Okay. So that is the backup that is called. See, there's nothing wrong with being wrong to find the truth. And I backed up just past them and kind of blocked the street and them off. And So you're kind of in the middle of the street like yeah, this? Yeah, it was like a, if the street's this way, my car was angled that way. Mm -hmm. See, is it worth it to block the street to tell these uh, kids to get off the street? Really, though? It kind of blocked them from escaping, and it just kind of provided a little security for everybody. And I had gone to open the door and get out of the car. And when I did so, I, as I was opening the door, I said, hey, come here for a minute. And that's when he turned and said, what the f are you going to do about it? And slammed my door shut on me. Slammed the door shut? Yes. So you're trying to get out. He slams the door shut. Yes. And? I, again, taken aback because I've never been trapped in my car. I used my door to try and push him back and yell at him to get back. And again, he just pushed the door shut and just stares at me. So you're staring each other down? Yeah, he stares at me, and he's, like, almost over top of me. It looked like he was trying to intimidate me. And as I look back at him, all of a sudden, punches start flying. He, he threw the first punch? Yes. He threw the first one and hit me in the uh, left side of my face. Because, you know, some of the witnesses have said that they saw you trying to pull him into the car. That would be against every training ever taught to any law enforcement officer. Didn't happen? No, it did not. He punched you, and did he land a punch? Yes, he did. 
the first one that he hit, hit, hit me in this side of the face, right in this area. And then I don't know what or how many hit me after that. I just know there was a barrage of swinging and grabbing and pulling for about 10 seconds. What's running through your head? What provoked such an aggressive response to really nothing out of the ordinary besides a conversation? My goal when I originally tried to get out of the car was to get out and just talk with him for 30 seconds till backup arrived. And then we could investigate the, the stealing further. I had reached out my window of my right hand to grab onto his forearm because I was going to try and move him back and get out of the car to where I'm no longer trapped. And when I felt How it, I just felt sense? the immense power that he had. I mean, the way I've described it is it was like a five-year-old holding on to Hulk Hogan. That's just how big this man was. Hulk Hogan? He was very large. Fascinating. Then why were you trying to apprehend him at all if, you know, you have so many tools at your disposal, and de-escalation should be one of them? You know, you could have easily just followed him home. Very powerful man. You're a pretty big guy. Yeah, I'm above average. I'm about 210, 215, but, you know, from what I've heard, he was around 290. And then as I'm holding him, I see him coming back around with his left hand, and it's in the shape like this, and it comes in through the window and just a solid punch to the right side of my face. I mean, the next thing was, how do I survive? Because I didn't know How do you I'd... survive? Yes, I didn't know if I'd be able to withstand another hit like that. I mean, he's a... You hear all the time, one punch and someone gets knocked out. And if I'm knocked out, then what happens to me? Because then I can't defend myself at all. So that was my fear is if he hits me again, will I be conscious after that hit to still defend myself? So that's what you're thinking at that moment. I can't get hit again. Yes. And what do you do? I actually went through my progression of how do I, how do I get out of this? What do I do? What's my force that I'm allowed to do? And my training just overrode every, everything you could ever think. I mean, training just kicked in. What did your training do at that moment? At first, it went to... Mace. But if I would have used that, it would have not only disabled him if it got to him through both our sets of hands, but it would have disabled me. So you go through the checklist, the mental checklist, you rule out Mace. Yes. This is all happening in a split second. Yes. And the only thing option I left was my firearm. So I withdrew my firearm and I where's your Where's your gun at that point? I keep it on my right hip. Mm -hmm. I take what it out and I taser? come up, I point it at him. So you're no longer holding on to his arm with your No, right my hand. left hand is now blocking my face and I'm now and getting my firearm with my right. Okay. Also interesting here so far is that he ran through his checklist, decides his gun is the answer. And at what point in, I'm pretty sure in the Prager video up here, it suggests that <laughs> uh, Michael Brown goes for his gun. Officer Wilson then attempted to get out of his car, but Brown blocked the door, punching the officer through the open window. <clears throat> As Brown tried to grab Wilson's gun, a struggle ensued. Wilson managed to fire his gun. This does not match up exactly what Wilson is saying right here. Okay, so show us exactly what you did. So if, if this is the, the narrative, the true story, both should say exactly the same thing. I was like this, and I brought my gun up like that. And when I said it, I said, get back or I'm going to shoot you. And then his response, immediately, he grabbed the top of my gun. Because you're pointing it at him. But the PragerU video says that first Brown reached for the gun, and then Darren responded with shooting his hand. He said, you're too much of a to shoot me. And when he did that, he had twisted it and put it down into my hip, and I had the barrel dug into the crease of my, in my left hip. And while he's doing that, I can feel his hand trying to come over my hand and get inside the trigger guard and try and shoot me with my own gun. And that, at that point, I envisioned a bullet going into my leg. And, you know, regardless of guilt or innocence, 
do you really fault a human being for pointing a weapon back at somebody? Because I see that as an instinct of survival. I, f I, I don't see any reason why Michael Brown would not be fearing for his life just as much as Officer Darren Wilson. Who is authorized to have a set of weapons on him? That was, I thought that was the next so thing. both your hands are on the gun at that point? Yes. This hand's trying to just get it back. And, th you know, my right hand was on, like, the pistol. And his grip. hand's over yours? Yes, it was over top. What do you do? I had managed to wiggle, I mean, only a couple inches. I just slide over just slightly, and it, the force of him pushing down actually slid off the side of my leg. And when it slid off, it's now pointed down the floorboard. Well, I, was, I didn't have enough strength to pull the gun up. And with just one hand, I couldn't maneuver it. So I took my left elbow and locked it into the back of my seat, and I just pushed as hard as I could like this with both my arms. And I ended up getting it to slide up my leg towards my knee. And when it got to, you know, fully outreached, I noticed it was lined up with the silhouette of his body. And that's when I pulled the trigger for the first time. What happened? It didn't go off. So he was already trying to get a shoot to... I can't assume kill, but he definitely was shooting to shoot him. The gun was actually being jammed by his hand on top of the firearm. I believe his finger was blocking the hammer from striking the slide. So I tried again, and again another click. And this time I'm like, this, this has to work, otherwise I'm, you know, I'm going to be dead. He's going to get this gun away from me. He's, something's going to happen, and I'm going to be dead. So I pull a third time, and it finally goes off. It went into the door. And when it went into the door, my window had been rolled down. So the glass from the window then exploded up from the door. And when it exploded, I just remember seeing a big chunk of glass come over my hand, and I see blood on my hand. And I didn't know what it was from originally. You know, later I found out it was actually his blood because I wasn't cut. But after the glass flies over, not I look at him, and he, he kind of backs up about six inches to a foot. And it kind of startled both of us. That was the first time you'd ever used your gun, right? Yes, it was. What were you thinking? Uh, we were both in shock. That's all I I mean, that's... It was shocking him to pull it, but it was also at the same time, it was shocking that this was the only option I had. After I look at him, he's kind of shocked. He gets even angrier. His aggression, his face, the intensity just increases. And he comes back in at me again. And when he comes back in, I just block my face again. And I put my gun up and try to shoot. Well, it doesn't shoot that time either. Now it's jammed again. Again, training just kicked in. I never even thought about this. It. Just your gun jams your racket, you get a new round in there. And when I did that, I wasn't looking at him. I was just like, racket, expecting another hit. And I put my gun up and fired. And after I fired that shot, I look over. He's running. It went off that time. It did go off. So this time he just shoots in indiscriminately, and it's justified because uh, allegedly Brown is just attacking the shit out of Wilson. So he justifies random shots. Um, that time. He starts to run, and I see the dust cloud behind him, and I'm like, okay, I missed. That was The round didn't hit him. Then I go to exit my car, and when I'm getting out, I use my walkie, and I say, shots fired, send more cars. And I start chasing after Michael Brown. He sent... That radio message, shots fired, send no cars, but nobody got it. No. How come? Found out later my radio during all the altercation, which was down on the side, which is where my portable radio was kept, the channel was changed from one to three. That moment before the second shot, you guys are staring at each other, and you said there was a look in his eye like something you'd never seen before. Mm -hmm. You described it as a demon. Mm -hmm. it, it was a very, very intense, intense. Justification. 
uh, image he was presenting. I was so He's trying to convince the American people that he was justified in killing an unarmed 18-year-old boy. Shocked by the Just whole because interaction because he was bigger was than him, he's escalated terrified. so quickly from a simple request to now a fight for survival, and it still doesn't make sense to me why someone would act in that way and be so mad instantly, so aggressive instantly. And he then does run away. And that's because what we haven't recognized for so long, and we are recognizing right now, is that there is a massive divide between the relations of police and a lot of their citizens, mostly those within the colored community. That's where it came from. He was terrified and angry when you pulled up. Who knows what all the other, if he's had past experiences with cops before. We're not even really sure. We can't be we can't be sure because I haven't seen any uh, deep dive on Brown's experiences throughout his entire life with authority. Yes, he does. How far does he go? I don't know. I mean, around 30, 40 feet. At that moment, you've called for help. Yes. Why not stay in the car? He's running away. My job isn't to just sit and wait. You know, I have to see where this guy goes. My goal wasn't to arrest him. My goal was to maintain a visual on him. And I was worried. You mean you weren't going to arrest him alone? Not alone, no. I knew I had backup on the way. And then he stops? He does stop. And then so does the video as well. But as we know, the rest continues where Brown turns around with his hands up. And that's where the, 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 the protest chant comes from, hands up, don't shoot. It comes from Ferguson. But PragerU uh, doesn't get Wilson's story down to even the testimony he had on what was that cbs so um how credible are we looking here how's it going so far wounding brown in the hand true or false michael brown's back was turned to officer wilson when he was shot and killed now this is a misconception of the situation because michael brown was shot several times before he turned around false after being shot in the hand, Brown ran away from the police car. Wilson got out of the vehicle and pursued him. Brown then suddenly turned and charged Officer Wilson. Now this doesn't fit any testimonies whatsoever and actually doesn't, uh, it, yeah, it just doesn't fit any of the testimonies. Here's how one witness whose testimony closely fits the forensic evidence described the scene. One witness testimony is being taken as fucking facts because it fits the autopsy in a way when other witness accounts do fit the autopsy as well nobody said he was shot behind the back in any of this because they're not providing two accounts they're only providing one and they're obviously doing it by a true false dichotomy so it makes it easier for people to understand and then when they are brought this issue face front they can just scream that's false that's false that's false but one witness testimony fitting the autopsy, hopefully it was the independent, at least. One witness whose testimony closely fits the forensic evidence described the scene. Yeah, Brown ran towards evidence. the officer full charge. The officer fired several shots at him. It says here it's from grand jury document cloud.org documents one. F it's from a 
grand jury testament uh, testimony, but it doesn't say him. Who it and is. Mike Brown continuously came forward in the charging motion. And when he stopped, that's when the officer ceased fire. When he charged once more, the officer returned fire with, I would say, three to four shots. And that's when Mike Brown finally collapsed. The Brown family's own medical expert, respected pathologist, Dr. Michael Baden, also conceded this point. The wounds Brown suffered were consistent with Brown charging toward Wilson, not running away. You know, you just can't take facts the way that they go. That's funny. Michael Baden was even the one who did the autopsy for Epstein. That's funny. It's interesting that uh, both of these guys, uh, Baden is just so closely related to these massive cases. But yet again, I'll be right back. Many apologies again. Uh, I just cannot stop going to the bathroom for all, all the workers' juice that I keep drinking. All that coffee, bro. Just to keep active. Um, it's funny that Michael Baden is just so fucking all over the place with uh, the most like high-profiled coroner exams. All right. Scootily do do do. What we learned from independent autopsy. This is from the round, the time that the information came out, coming from Newsweek. Let's see here. Dr. Baden said Brown's family asked him, pathology assistant, to conduct the independent autopsy because they did not trust local authorities. Darren Wilson, in circumstances, uh, who was uh, blah, blah 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 blah, six bullets struck. All right, so let's see. Six bullets struck Brown. Dr. Baden said in a press conference earlier today, two may have exited and re-entered Brown's body, he said, resulting in multiple wounds. Brown was shot twice in the head. The examination showed one bullet entered just above the right eyebrow, the other to the very top of the head. Those are shots to kill. Brown was most likely bending over when the last shot was fired. Uh, Mr. Baden and Professor Parcell said the two shots to the head were probably the last two shots fired. Uh, Dr. Baden said an attorney for Brown's family described the shot at the top of the head as the kill shot. Um, I see several marks here, one in the neck, one in the 
above the eyebrow and one at the top of the skull. Those, to me, would be considered kill shots, especially he got pretty close with a heart shot here. There's one shot in the chest, but um, not quite the heart. It's pretty far off, but a torso shot is definitely another tr attempted kill shot. The autopsy did not reveal signs of struggle, Dr. Baden said, which cast out on an earlier statement by police that a struggle between Brown and Wilson precipitated Brown's shooting. Police have said Brown forced his way inside Wilson's cruiser, where Wilson shot at Brown for the first time. Dr. Baden said he found no gunpowder residue on Brown's skin, which could mean that the muzzle of Wilson's gun was at least one or two feet away from Brown when he was shot. And I think that considers his hand. His hand was pretty far away when it was shot. Because if it's on the barrel, which, you know, uh, that's not even what Wilson says here, but uh, two feet, one or two feet away would suggest to me that he was significantly further away from the car when that first shot was fired. Brown's clothing was not available for Dr. Baden to examine. Uh, Baden said that it was almost certainly examined during Brown's first autopsy performed by the St. Louis County Medical Examiner. So what I find interesting is that it's not a problem for Baden to not be able to examine the clothing because it was done by the first autopsy. What is the point of having an independent autopsy if you're just going to take certain evidence from the first? I find that strange. If no gunpowder residue was found on Brown's clothing during the first autopsy, it will likely throw the Ferguson PD's timeline and events into question. So I'm not sure if that developed more. Um, Professor Parcell said a wound on Brown's right arm was consistent with a witness statement that Brown was first shot while facing away from Wilson, but he stressed that he and Dr. Baden could not determine conclusively the trajectories of the bullets that hit Brown or which direction he was moving when he was shot. The wounds could be consistent with going forward or going backward, Dr. Baden said. What I'm wondering is that, you know, if I'm putting pieces to here together, I'm wondering if Wilson did not like the profanities said to him. So he grabbed Brown by the neck, and that's when Brown punched him twice to get away. He did start to go away, and Wilson fired the shot into his hand through his window, um, and that was the first shot. As it says here, that it's consistent with a witness statement. Uh, unfortunately, he stressed that he and Dr. Baden could not determine conclusively the trajectories of the bullets that hit Brown or which direction he was moving when he was shot. The wounds could be consistent with going forward or going backward. So uh, Dr. Baden, which is funny, uh, hasn't said anything about uh, the charging motion here, but that actually... Um, the bullet wounds are consistent with going forward or going backward, which means that he didn't effectively figure out which is the uh, <laughs> entrance and exit wound. So, um, and I'm pretty sure I saw him give a testament on uh, like Good Morning America or something that even con contradicted this. So I don't even trust Dr. Bain in that much, to be perfectly honest with you. Um... An attorney for Brown's family said at least some of the shots traced a back-to-front trajectory, indicating that Brown was shot from behind. Dr. Baden said, and that could have been when he turned around. People said he turned around when he had been shot multiple times, started going towards the officers, or towards Wilson with his hands up, and Wilson proceeded with more shots.
right. So that's what Newsweek says at the time of that. There is no mention of the charging motion in that testimony. And that's what I'm saying is that even with the mainstream media, this story has been very inconsistent and it seems very convenient for them because then it's so muddy that you can't convince other people that there needs to be massive structural change. Fergus, uh, Prager's use video here makes it only worse by saying that flat out lies were spread during this, even though the cops involved in this situation were all uh, completely let go, especially Wilson. He is a free man. He, he lives amongst us. So um, the only victim and person who actually suffered through this, well, is Mike Brown's family and Mike Brown and Dorian Johnson. So, Prager U says, consistent with Brown charging towards Wilson, not running away, as if Dr. Baden, the independent autopsy, had said that from the uh, source that I read from Newsweek at the time Dr. Baden had just got done doing the second autopsy. He did not say that it was consistent with charging. He said it could have been forward or backward shots. So Baden, I think, is actually hitting a level of incompetence here where I'm putting him into question as well. True or false? Before Michael Brown was shot and killed, he raised his hands above his head and shouted, hands up, don't shoot. False. Federal investigators from the Department of Justice found no credible evidence that Brown ever raised his hands in a don't shoot gesture or in any way heeded the officer's commands for him to surrender. Now this is um, obvious a lie because you, you, you see videos instantly after uh, uh, Michael Brown's death of people putting their hands up because they did not understand. The people on the ground did not understand why he was shot so many times, especially the last two to the head. He had his hands up. So I, I'm not 100% sure if uh, Michael said, hands up, don't shoot. Um, a subsequent FBI investigation found that there was no evidence that Brown had his hands up in surrender or said don't shoot before he was shot. However, protesters claimed that he had done so and later used the slogan hands up, don't shoot. Now, in my own personal opinion, I tend to lean on the side. I have a bias towards people that don't work for the FBI. So I am going with the protesters, the people on the ground, the eyewitness accounts who have reverberated these words throughout the protests of time so far since then. Um, I believe them over the FBI who sent a long time ago, for sure, but sent a letter to Martin Luther King to kill himself. So forgive me if I have a bit of a bias that doesn't like everything that FBI does. So I'm going with the protesters on this one. And which also means that I'm disagreeing with Prager. The federal report concluded that witnesses who originally stated Brown had his hands up in surrender recanted their original accounts, admitting that they did not witness the shooting or parts of it. Investigators. 
I think it's important that we look up that source that he has. Digging deep here, we have the memorandum here from the DOJ, March 4th, 2015. Let's see here, audio recording, Ferguson, autopsy findings, crime scene, DNA analysis, dispatch recording, witness accounts is page 26. And it has it broken into different sections, witnesses materially consistent with prior statements, physical evidence, and other witness, and therefore give credible accounts. Witnesses materially consistent with prior statements, physical evidence, and other witnesses who corroborate that Wilson acted in self-defense. Two, Wilson, uh, witnesses consistent with prior statements, physical evidence, and other witnesses who inculpate Wilson. Now, I'm an illiterate, degenerate fuck. I don't know what inculpate means. Give me one second. We're going to learn a new word. To charge with fault. So there are included in here witnesses consistent with prior statements, physical evidence, and other witnesses who inculpate and accuse Wilson of being at fault. There's another one. Witnesses who neither uh, <laughs> inculpate nor fully co uh, corroborate Wilson. And three, witnesses who accounts do not support a prosecution due to materially inconsistent prior statements or inconsistencies with physical evidence and forensic evidence. So let's take our happy asses all the way to page 26. And I'm sure there's plenty of shit to decipher in this entire report. But we're only here for what's important. Do-do-do-do-do, waiting music. All right, almost there. One more page. Do-do-do-do-do, witnesses, accounts. As the first responding investigators, SLCPD detectives interviewed witnesses on Canfield Drive within the first few hours of the shooting one week later on August 16, 2014, in an effort to identify additional witnesses who may have been reluctant to speak with local law enforcement, the FBI conducted a neighborhood canvas of more than 300 residents. Federal and county authorities largely conducted additional interviews jointly. Unless a witness expressed discomfort with the presence of either federal agents or SLCPD detectives. To evaluate the merits of a potential federal prosecution, federal prosecutors and FBI agents conducted follow-up interviews. Many witnesses also testified before the county grand jury. Unless otherwise noted, witnesses did not know or know of Brown or Wilson prior to the shooting. All right. Witness 102 is a 27-year-old biracial male witness. 102 gave three statements first slcpd detectives interviewed him second fbi agents interviewed him third witness 102 testified before the county county grand jury bent on his body then drive his window from the waist up witness 02 
Brown was wrestling through the window, but he was unable to see what Wilson was doing. After a few seconds, Witness 102 heard a gunshot. Immediately, Brown took off running in the opposite direction from where Witness 102 was standing. Witness 102 heard something metallic hit the ground. Witness 102 thought that he had just witnessed the murder of a police officer because a few seconds passed before Wilson emerged from the SUV. Wilson then chased Brown with his gun drawn, but not pointed at Brown, until Brown abruptly turned around at a nearby drive-by or driveway. Witness 102 explained that it made no sense to him why Brown turned around. Brown did not get on the ground or put his hands up and surrender. In fact, Witness 102 told investigators that he knew for sure that Brown's hands were not above his head. Rather, Brown made some type of movement similar to pulling his pants up or a shoulder shrug and then charged at Wilson. It was only then that Wilson fired five or six shots at Brown. Brown paused and appeared to flinch, and Wilson stopped firing. However, Brown charged at Wilson again and again. Wilson fired about three or four rounds until Brown finally collapsed on the ground. Witness 102 was in disbelief that Wilson seemingly kept missing because Brown kept advancing forward. <laughs> So Witness 102 seems to have a bit of an account that does fit alongside uh, the narrative of Wilson. Hmm. Witness 102 called 911 following day to report what he saw. He then went to the FPD. Uh, as described, that 102's statements were materially consistent with each other, with physical and forensic evidence, and with other credible witness accounts. Witness 102 does not have a criminal history. Therefore, if called as a defendant's witness in the prosecution of Darren Wilson, this witness's account would not be vulnerable to meaningful cross-examination. It would not be subject to impeachment due to bias or inconsistencies in his prior statements. Accordingly, after a thorough review of all the evidence, federal prosecutors determined his account to be credible and likewise determined that a jury appropriately would credit his potential testimony. They say it's credible, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's true. It's just consistent enough to, for them to use in a trial. Witness 103 is a 58-year-old black male who gave two tests, who two, two statements. First, Witness 103 was reluctant to meet with SLCPD detectives, FBI agents, and federal prosecutors because he has no particular allegiance to law enforcement. Witness 103 is a convicted felon who served time in federal prison and has a son who was shot and injured by law enforcement during the commission of a robbery. So I think it's fascinating that they include this in the report because they know that people's implicit biases are going to affect their accounts and their perceptions. So um, it's fascinating that all of this is included as if it has any relevance to do with what the uh, lawyer should be asking these people questions or what the grand jury should be considering in these accounts and what have you. I think it's very interesting that it includes Witness 103's uh, backstory as if it has any relevance whatsoever to the case. But they think it does because of his implicit biases, maybe towards law enforcement who could have... Uh, who shot his son during a commission of a robbery so um and he also served time in federal prison so witness 103 expressed concerns because there were signs in the neighborhood of canfield drive stating snitches get stitches therefore he agreed to be interviewed only on the condition of confidentiality <sighs> okay 
driving his blue pickup truck in the opposite direction of Wilson's SUV, ended up virtually next to the driver's side of the SUV when it stopped. Relative to Witness 102, Witness 103 had a similar but much closer view of the driver's side of the SUV. If the parked SUV is viewing is viewed as dividing Canfield Drive in half. Both Witness 102 and 103 were on the same side with a view of Brown's back as he ran from Wilson and a view of Brown's front as he ran toward Wilson. When Witness 103 stopped his truck on Canfield Drive, although he did not see what led up to it, he saw Brown punching Wilson at least three times in the facial area, though the open windows, uh, driver's window of through the driver's window of the SUV. Witness 103 described Wilson and Brown as having hold of each other's shirts but Brown was getting in a couple blows. Wilson was leaning back toward the passenger seat with his forearm up in an effort to block the blows. Then, Witness 103 heard a gunshot and Brown took off running. Wilson exited the SUV, appeared to be using his shoulder microphone to call into his radio, and chased Brown with his gun held low. Witness 103 explained that Brown came to a stop near a car, put his hand down on the car, and turned around to face Wilson. Brown's hands were then down at his side. Witness 103 did not see Brown's hands up. Wanting to leave, Witness 103 began to turn his car around in the opposite direction that Brown had been running when he heard additional shots. That's great. I like how it's so... It, they had to make sure that it was clear that 103 never saw Brown's hands up. And 103 had no interest of seeing what was actually going to go on and decided that he, it was time for him to leave. Um... So Witness 103 began to turn his car around in the opposite direction that Brown had been running when he heard additional shots. Witness 103 turned to his right and saw Brown moving fast toward Wilson. Witnesses 103 then drove away. Witness 103 had a passenger in his truck. Although Witness 103 tried to facilitate contact between federal and state authorities and the passenger, the passenger refused to identify himself or provide any information. All right. All right, so he was uh, consistent with Wilson's testimony, and that's why they're considering him for this. Uh, 104 is a biracial, gave three statements, biracial female, gave statements in a minivan, been traveling in the opposite direction of Wilson, according to she was leaning over, talking to her sister, witness 107. When she heard two gunshots, she looked out the front window and saw Brown at the driver's window of Wilson's SUV. Witness 104 knew that Brown's arms were inside the SUV, but she could not see what Brown and Wilson were doing because Brown's body was blocking her view. That seems to be a pretty consistent thing about people who did not see Wilson choking Brown. So Witness 104 only saw it up to the point where uh, Brown was shot running away. Witness 105 is a 50-year-old black female. Two statements. Her husband was Witness 106. Uh, Witness 107 was her daughter. And Witness... Yep. And another Witness 104, her daughter. Witness 105 had been traveling east on Canfield Drive when she stopped in front of Wilson's vehicle with a view of the driver's side of his vehicle her view was also of the back of brown as he first ran away and then the front of brown as he turned around and came back toward wilson so according to witness 105 wilson was driving a car not an suv and a gunshot drew her attention to the vehicle she noticed brown's hands on wilson's car brown then ran eastbound and wilson chased after him gun in hand held low 
Witness 105 explained that Brown put his hands up for a brief moment and then turned around and made a shuffling movement. Wilson told Brown to get down, but Brown did not comply. Instead, Brown put his hands down in a running position. Witness 105 could not tell whether Brown was charging at Wilson or whether his plan was to run past Wilson, but either way, Brown was running toward Wilson. Uh, Wilson only shot at Brown when Brown was moving toward him. She could not see Brown's hands as he was running, but saw him reaching down as he began to fall to the ground. Both of Witness 105's statements were consistent with each other. Materially consistent, blah, 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 blah. No criminal history. Limited impeachment. Potential. So... It fits enough of the narrative for her to testify. We have another witness, 108. Um, 108 sees that the cop was in the right, did what he had to do, um, and uh, 108 expressed fear in coming forward. Uh, I don't part of the days, I find it in her that he would... 108 confided in another individual that he would have shot that he would have fucking shot that boy too. Um, witness 108 at a local repair shop where he reluctantly explained that Wilson told Brown to stop or get down at least 10 times but instead Brown charged at Wilson. It's fascinating that like none of the stop or get down has only been mentioned in the last two. Um, and I haven't heard anybody else speak on that. Wilson got out of his vehicle, Brown, and the young guy that died hit him in the face. Witness 108 explained that Wilson reached for what appeared to be a taser but dropped it and then grabbed a gun. Witness 109 explained that Brown reached for Wilson's gun, although Witness 109's description was somewhat disjointed. He also stated that at first Brown ran away from Wilson but then kept coming toward Wilson. Wilson told Brown to stop and lay down, but Brown failed to comply. Witness 109 said that Wilson fired in self-defense, explaining that Wilson did not shoot to kill at first, but he unloaded on him when Brown wouldn't stop. A lot of people saw that it was justified to ending the call by stating, Hmm, I know police get a bad rap, but they're here to protect us. I don't agree with a couple of these statements. I feel like they have their own view of the police that maybe don't necessarily fit with mine because I don't feel like shooting somebody who stole some cigarillos is protecting your neighborhood. One thirteen was interviewed one time by FBI agents. So, 113 says she saw three black males walking in the street and two police vehicles. So, I don't know why this one's here because it doesn't necessarily be credit to a lot of things. 
doesn't have as much credibility as the others. She explained to the FBI that you got you've got to live the life to know it. Why would she say that? She explained to the FBI that you've got to live the life to know it and stated that she feared offering an account contrary to the narrative reported by the media that Brown held his hand up and surrender. She didn't agree with that. Um, and that she saw Brown running toward Wilson, prompting Wilson to yell freeze. Brown failed to stop. Wilson began shooting. Uh, likely in a mess with federal court and testify on behalf. However, her reasons for being untruthful coupled with the fact that she immediately changed course when her statements were challenged give her account reliability. Really. According, really. So they got several that fit um, with Wilson's. They have plenty of eyewitnesses that actually fit with uh, Wilson's account a bit, even though there's still a bit of holes and all of these um witness 134 explained that although she could not remember the exact words wilson said he used he said something like get on the ground so we got freeze stop get on the ground um so yeah consistent with prior statements and other witnesses who nice witnesses consistent with prior statements physical evidence and other witnesses who inculpate wilson here it is there are no witnesses who fall under this category this one so they have in this doj report they have none of the eyewitnesses that say that brown had his hands up now, I don't know if they didn't record it or if they said they got 300, 300 interviews. And they highlight 101, 134, 106, 105, you know, not any numbers consistently. But we have not all 100 of the witnesses, but we have a handful. So that's that's pretty interesting. Um. It goes right into witnesses who neither accuse nor cooperate Wilson. Um, see the passenger seat, minivan stopped outside. Uh, however, when witness 107 initially described what happened, she mistakenly thought she was in the front passenger seat and forgot that her father was present. So that's enough to discredit the story. According to Witness 107, she was looking at her mobile phone when she heard two gunshots. She looked up and out the front windshield and saw Brown run away from Wilson. Witness 107 mistakenly thought that Wilson was standing toward the front of the passenger side of the police vehicle and could not remember whether the vehicle was an SUV or a car. Wilson then chased after Brown and drew his gun, shooting three times. Contrary to the autopsy results, Witness 107 stated that Wilson shot Brown in the leg and hip as Brown was running away. And I mean, how is she supposed to tell? She freaked out, bro. <laughs> Um, Brown then turned around briefly, put his hands 
with up palms forward near his shoulders as though he was giving up but then brown put his hands down one of them holding his chest as he came back toward wilson the witness 107 was unsure whether brown was stumbling or running wilson fired the last shots from 10 to 15 away from brown and kept shooting as brown was falling to the ground those are the most eyewitness accounts that I've, I've seen is that he put his hands up and Wilson continued to shoot while Brown fell to the ground. And that's how we get the shot to the head. Witness 107 explained that immediately following the shooting, her mother drove to a nearby parking lot. She and her family members discussed what they witnessed, and they all seemed to have witnessed different things. Her sister, Witness 104, for example, was adamant that Brown charged at Wilson, whereas Witness 107 expressed uncertainty. The family also could not reach a consensus as to the number of shots fired. So I like how 104 is taken a lot more seriously, um, even though 107 was in the same car. Witness 106, white male, uh, passenger seat of the minivan. This is the same minivan that saw this. Um, 106 explained that he first saw Brown as he ran from Wilson. Wilson fired one shot, which seemed to hit Brown in the leg because Brown appeared to stagger. Brown's arms then briefly flung out, and he turned around to face Wilson. Witness 106 then explained that even though the neighborhood had been talking about Brown having his hands up, Brown did not have his hands up. Brown's arms were down at his sides, such, such that Witness 106 could not see Brown's hands. Witness 106's vantage point was over Wilson's shoulder. Witness 106 saw Brown walk toward Wilson, thought Brown was about to shoot Wilson, as Wilson shot Brown until he fell to his death. Um, yeah, there's a lot of issues in 106's account. 1010 also testified before the county grand jury. So this one did the grand jury, not a lot of these did. Um, Witness 110 and 111 first came into contact. Uh, we're driving on Canfield when they noticed Brown and his friend, 101, walking in the center of the street, had to veer around them to avoid hitting them. Witness 111 commented to Witness 110, why don't they just get on the sidewalk? As they're pulling into the driveway of the building they were visiting, they noticed Wilson driving in the opposite direction. Uh, Witness 110 explained that while in the driveway, he noticed Brown standing beside the driver's door of the SUV with the upper portion of his body inside the driver's area of the SUV. Witness 110 did not mention his this during his second interview, so that's notable. Uh, went up to the second floor balcony. Their vantage point was at the passenger side of the SUV, followed by the right profile of Brown as he ran away from Wilson, and then the left profile of Brown as he turned and moved toward Wilson. Uh, 10 stated that he witnessed an exchange between Wilson Brown and Witness 101, but did not hear what was said. Wilson reversed his vehicle using it to block Brown. Witness 101 engaged in back and forth scuffle. Let's see, 101 disappeared. There seems to be consistent accounts that Dorian Johnson hid while this happened. Um, let's see, put his hands. Out on his sides, palms up, as though asking what the heck. Brown then moved toward Wilson with his hands in that same position, and Wilson shot Brown. Brown then paused, the shooting stopped, and then Brown advanced again. Um, no no charging language here. They just say move towards and advancing. 111 was with 110 on the balcony. Um... 
It's consistent with 110 with two exceptions. First, when she witnessed Brown turn around after fleeing from Wilson witness. 111 explained that Brown looked down at his right hand, which was bleeding. This is contrary to witness 110, who said that Brown looked down at his left hand and did not mention seeing blood. Uh, meaningless, and that's a meaningless hair to split because people are understandably freaked out in this situation. Second witness, 111, described Brown as moving back toward Wilson in slow motion, where witness 110 at one time described Brown walking quickly, but later could not characterize his pace. And that's why they said move towards and advanced earlier. Oh, there it is. It says witness 111 initially told SLCPD detectives that Brown moved quickly, although he testified in the county grand jury, could not describe how Brown was moving toward Wilson, though he was not charging or running. So... A lot of inconsistencies that create a problem with this and make it effectively easier for PragerU to spread these lies and further um, hurt the BLM movement. Because really it's about systemic racism and police brutality. 115 gave accounts. Uh, he was on the second floor. Arms being exchanged. We saw the punches, 115. Saw both Brown and his friend, who had been standing toward the front part. Witness 115 stated that there was a pause in the shooting, and he used this opportunity to go out his balcony for a better look. As he did, he realized that he left his mobile phone on his dresser. So there's a lot of inconsistencies in the rest of these ones, but I, I'm just surprised that they didn't find any accounts accusing Wilson of uh, fault here. You know, there was 300 people that they interviewed, and we have a very shorthand of accounts of confirming Wilson's account. There's maybe... Uh, more than five, less than ten. But then there's about the same number of people that aren't quite clear on what happened. Too many inconsistencies to even uh, uh, be considered as evidence. And then I reach the bottom of this list, and Witness 101, Dorian Johnson, is considered witnesses whose accounts do not support a prosecution due to materially inconsistent prior statements or inconsistencies with the physical and forensic evidence. So, uh, yeah. And I would have to read the entire thing, which I can't do because it's very long. Um, but let's just get to the uh, last statement here. Both witness 101's inconsistencies in his ability to perceive what happened or lack thereof make his account vulnerable to effective cross-examination and extensive impeachment. Accordingly, after a thorough review of all of the evidence, federal prosecutors determined material portions of witness 101's account lack credibility and therefore determined that his account does not support a prosecution of Darren Wilson. He was the one closest to the scene and the closest to Mike Brown when he was shot and his uh account is marked as not credible and that's why they didn't actually take this uh further prosecution he, darren, darren wilson i think was eventually acquitted doga investigation of the person ferguson police 
Um, what ended up happening here began an investigation of Ferguson, uh, examined blah, blah, blah. The results of the uh, goddamn investigation were released March 4th, 2015, which concluded officers in Ferguson routinely violated the constitutional rights of the city's residents by discriminating against African-Americans and applying racial stereotypes in a pattern of practice of unlawful conduct with the Ferguson PD that violates the first, fourth, and 14th amendments to the United States Constitution and federal statutory law. So, uh fascinating fascinating um the brown lawsuit got money um dorian johnson has taken it to court so this is still even ongoing um but so far the doj did uh basically acquit and allow the officer darren wilson to walk free he walked away with no charges with uh, no prosecution admitting that they did not witness the shooting or parts of it. Investigators also concluded Brown never uttered the now iconic phrase. Again from the report, the media has widely reported that there is witness testimony that Brown said don't shoot as he held his hands above his head. In fact, our investigation did not reveal any eyewitness who stated that Brown said don't shoot. Where did this phrase come from then? The best guess is that it was made up by Brown's companion, Dorian Johnson, immediately after the shooting. <laughs> Witnesses described him the saying, guess. the police shot my friend and his hands were up. And like a game of telephone, the phrase spread quickly throughout the neighborhood, morphing into hands up, don't. So this makes it great that um, PragerU is just making large assumptions with absolutely no evidence, um, you know, by uh recontextualizing a quote from dorian johnson they can act like they have credibility and legitimization to say this is where this came from um this is lazy in a uh, lot of ways i may be an armchair idiot but these people really take the cake shoot picked up and amplified by the media it then became an anthem for activists this also sits, seems to fit in the narrative that BLM is some kind of liberal movement to somehow per perpetuate white genocide. By just having the fact that this is a narrative push to have a certain agenda, such as BLM, be fed, um, this fits into that conspiracy theory that BLM is a liberal movement to um, uh, take away rights from whites. So. True or false? A local grand jury investigation and a federal investigation both concluded that Officer Wilson was justified in his use of force. And that's what you call state-sanctioned police killing. That is what you call it. True. The local grand jury and the federal investigation supervised by Attorney General Eric Holder reached the same conclusion. Officer Wilson did nothing wrong. And we can see a lot of this there's a very very high likelihood that we can see this same kind of excuse coming out for Derek Chauvin, even though we have 8 minutes and 46 seconds worth of jail time for him. There was no basis on which to prosecute him. Here's how Heather McDonald of the Manhattan Institute, the officer fired several shots at him and Mike Brown continuously after Michael Baden found charged. I fucked up pretty hard. From the Department of Justice, found no. 
Scoop, scoop, scoop. <laughs> Gotta scoop forward because I really fucked up. Scoop, scoop. Scoop, scoop. And the federal investigation supervised by Attorney General Eric Holder reached the same conclusion. Officer Wilson did nothing wrong. There was no basis on which to prosecute him. Whew, too much coffee. Too much. Too much. I'm sorry. I'm not even rosing it. I'm sorry. Many apologies for another unprofessional break, but I apparently drink way too much coffee. Here's how Heather McDonald of the Manhattan Institute put it in her book, The War on Cops. It nice. was not a question of evidence not supporting high threshold civil rights charges. It was a question of evidence eviscerating virtually every aspect of the pro-Brown, anti-Wilson narrative. There's another way to put this. The statement that an innocent black man was killed by a racist cop in Ferguson, Missouri, is a lie. It's not, because in this country, you have certain amendments that guarantee you see a fair trial before innocent is proven guilty. So an innocent person was murdered. Are we calling him guilty because of an altercation with a cop that he had yet to see a day in trial for as well? Because there's a lot to investigate here. And we could have had a longer investigation about a uh, assault charge on a police officer and stolen cigarillos if he lived that day. Those who say otherwise are either willfully deceiving you for their own purposes or are wholly ignorant of the facts. So we went over the facts. I think there's a lot of holes. And a lot of it also includes the DOJ's reporting, and a lot of it also includes the, the New York Times reporting, a lot of it includes CNN's reporting, and a lot of it really includes Fox News and PragerU's reporting on it, which I see all of them failing to actually challenge the, the methodology that the cop used when that led, that led to Michael Brown's death. This conversation has been going on for so long, and yet we, PragerU is finding the argument not to reform the police and not to make certain bans or abolition, if you want to go that far, making the argument because the Michael Brown killing was justified, because he got in an altercation with a police officer before he died, which we could argue, do you placate to officers whenever they come around? Do you just allow them to go as far as they want 
as soon as a cop shows up on the scene, it is our job to surrender. It's a uh, pretty surprising. And you can go back all the way to the beginning of this video where I find that even the stopping of Michael Brown is severely unjustified based off of the fact that they profiled him. It led, this all led from profiling. Michael Brown did have that altercation. But here, we have this. It's just after one in the morning on the day that Michael Brown would be killed. And this newly released surveillance video shows him inside the Ferguson Market and Liquor Store, a place he'd be accused of robbing 11 hours later. Now, CNN cannot confirm the video's authenticity. It's part of it. CNN cannot confirm its authenticity, but it has a date in the camera and it has the employees. It has the timestamp, everything. And it, you know, we'll, we'll let her talk. And then there's a follow up video that will discuss this a little bit more. A new documentary called Stranger Fruit, which debuted at the South by Southwest Festival on Saturday. It challenges the police narrative that Brown stole from a convenience store moments before he was shot and killed by Officer Darren Wilson back in August 2014. It argues Brown's altercation with the store employees later that day, shown on this video that was released by the Ferguson police, stemmed from a misunderstanding type. So the video that accuses that he had stolen from the store was the only video released. As if this video that was 11 hours before had nothing to do with anything that was going on. So I think if we're going to get an accurate account of what happened, it's important to know what that transaction 11 hours earlier was. And we will get into that. To an earlier apparent drug deal with the clerks, which the filmmaker Jason Pollock suggests is happening in the previously unreleased video. Now the 18 year old appears to give the clerks a small bag. Pollock claims it's marijuana. They give Brown. So a lot of people will say, there, there he is. He's a criminal. He drug deal. But I feel like we're reaching a point in this, in, in this country where dealing marijuana is a fucking joke. And that we also should be releasing people in jail right now for marijuana possession or marijuana sales. Because the law itself was broken. We're acknowledging that. And so to criminalize him for selling weed... Again, that's just uh, some kind of 60s tactic to uh, discredit somebody, to make their character look flawed and unworthy of true justice. Around a bag with cigarellos, which he takes, but then turns around and gives back to the clerks before leaving. See, the film suggests that Brown did like, not you know return to rob you know the store later that return. day, I'll return but to these get his and I'll stuff back. So he pays for those. He has a bag, he has a receipt, and then he decides, you know what, I'll come back for these cigarellas, and he leaves them there. 11 hours later, he goes back for them, and that's what the altercation happens after that. But what is the altercation about? Well, in Stranger Fruit, the documentary, it has a problem with the owner and Michael Brown, and Michael Brown selling weed to the clerks. So Michael Brown might have been extra confrontational in that situation. Maybe he was taking advantage of his size on the store owner, which I can't, I'm not going to say that's right. But the outcome of all of this led to a death. And that is why we need to get beginning to end and speak out 
whether or not murder killing was justified before a day in court we have amendments for this reason and yet and yet we have a machine of media propaganda and many other forces working to placate and justify police killings normalized police accountability 2020 Protests and riots erupted across the country after Brown's death. And many protesters upset with the Ferguson Police Department's decision to release a surveillance video of the altercation at the store because Only a part of the they story. felt it demonized Brown and appeared to justify police use of force. The original Ferguson Police Report does not mention Brown's overnight visit or that there is any video beyond what was released. The visit was briefly mentioned in a St. Louis County Police Report. CNN contacted St. Louis PD, which said it could not confirm the new video's authenticity, but that regardless, it would have been irrelevant to their investigation into the encounter between Michael Brown and Darren Wilson. Wilson, who resigned from the Ferguson Police Department. It's not irrelevant because <laughs> it <laughs> decides whether or not the killing was justified or even the report was justified. It was reported by a customer, by a bystander who saw the altercation, not the store owner, not the clerks. So there's a lot of information of what happened inside that store that day that we do not know. And all we know is that it's justified because he had an altercation with Wilson. That's why it's worth him dying. Claimed he was assaulted by Brown and that he feared for his life. A grand jury and in a federal civil rights investigation. And it, again, how, how, how is it not just as equal that Michael Brown feared for his life when Derek Wilson, Darren Wilson, got worse? ...declined to indict Wilson. Now, we reached out to the Ferguson Police Department to ask them about the video and why it wasn't released before. So, like I said, CNN's, video, CNN's reporting is total trash. But here is John Pollock in his own words. Pollock, where did this come from? Where did this video come from? How did you obtain it? Um, I obtained this video by deciding to move to Ferguson, work with the family, and do real investigative journalism for the last two years. And that's how the truth comes out. When you do real work and you focus on one story and you dig into it. We originally found the paperwork in the St. Louis County Police Report, which shows that, there, that they saw a video at 1.13 a.m. of Michael Brown walking into the convenience store. And that tipped us off that this, that this happened. They admit that it happened in their own report, and the document which we found proves it. So them saying that they don't know what they're talking about is ridiculous because they either don't read the report or they're not telling us the truth. Based on everything that's happened, it seems like they're probably not telling us the truth. So we found the document, and then we, we were able to acquire the video. And uh, the video is at the same exact time as their own document. So to prove that the video is real, they proved it for us. Their document says that Michael Brown walked into the store on August 9th at 1.13 a.m. The video that we've acquired, at the top of the video, you can see the time code, and it clearly says the exact same time and date. Mm -hmm. So the video is pretty much corroborated by the St. Louis County Police Report. Thank mm -hmm. you, St. Louis County. I'm not exactly sure why they don't understand what's happening with it, but I think that they're pretty much just pointing fingers at each other right now 
because they've been outed. And what this video shows is that they lied to the world about what happened. They wanted to make Mike look bad, so they put out half a video to, to, to destroy his character in his death. Yeah. And that is the full clip that CNN provides here. There's probably more to that, but that's all that clip had. So that's great. I could listen to him try to explain it to Fox News. I could go to this video over here uh, where it's on Don't Walk Run Productions. But to be perfectly honest with you, uh, just watch the documentary. <laughs> uh, Stranger Fear seems like a more important documentary to watch now more than ever. So uh, just go watch it. Um, just go watch it. Um. Now you know. Act accordingly. I'm Larry Elder for Prager University. That was Larry Elder for Prager University saying that if you don't agree with Prager's understanding of this, then you are either willfully ignorant or you have your own agenda. I do not have my own agenda other than racial justice and... Uh, 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 let's see, what was the last one? Well, shit, let's just stick with racial justice because, you know, inequality has its place in racial justice. They're all intersected, but it's important to receive racial justice on this. And for PragerU to say that Darren Wilson was justified in killing Michael Brown does not help with racial justice, nor does it help with uh, inequality that we suffer. Not, not just because Michael Brown was black, but because Michael Brown didn't have uh, the, the money to also defend himself. Nobody did, except for Darren Wilson, who had the means to get his way out of court, qualified immunity, this, that, the other. <sighs> yeah, uh, I'm a little frustrated. Yeah, I said flustrated. It's a combination of flustered and frustrated. I would say to get a full summary of this, I would have to start at the beginning of my video because I feel like I had already summed it up in the very beginning that PragerU is mischaracterizing a lot of the situation that happened here. And it's very frustrating to me in a time like this when we really need to see solidarity in order to make change that PragerU is using all its means to cut down the character of Michael Brown even further by saying he deserved to die that Wilson deserved to live that day because he was the cop and Brown was not. There's a lot of issues with the Michael Brown case. It goes from the second he is identified as the suspect that fits the description all the way to the DOJ report who, out of 300 witnesses, could not find anybody that accused Darren Wilson of fault. That's what it says in this report that was released to the press that no witnesses fitted into the category that accuse Darren Wilson of fault. When we know <laughs> there's no fucking way that that happened because everybody that crowded around Darren Wilson after the shooting were all eyewitnesses at that point. And we know that that city had their own perception that seems to be ignored in this. And that only witnesses that either couldn't see clearly, couldn't get facts straight, or corroborated with Darren Wilson were only considered in the prosecution 
of Darren Wilson. We can see a lot of this probably happening with what's going on in Minneapolis. To end it, I have Dorian Johnson here just after. This is four days after Michael Brown was killed. And this is his own words. And this is what I'm ending it on. It's two minutes. But I want people to take this into consideration when his account was not considered credible. It was around 142 o'clock. We were walking down the street. Uh, empty street. We were just walking down, minding our own business. We're both headed home, and the officer is approaching us, and as he pulled up on the side of us, he didn't say freeze, hope, or nothing like we were committing a crime. He said, get the F on the sidewalk. I told the officer we were not but a minute away from the destination. He's at an angle where we're so close to his door and him that when he tries to thrust the door open aggressively, it doesn't come an inch out before it strikes both of us. Uh, arm extended out the window, grabbed my friend around the neck. He didn't say step back or anything like that. He started to pull my friend into the window. So the officer's trying to pull him in and he's pulling away from the officer. He never once attempted to grab for this officer's weapon. He's still holding my friend with one arm. And now with the other hand, he's pointing his weapon. The second time he says, I'll shoot, it wasn't even a second later before the gun just went off and the officer let go. And that's how we were able to run at the same time. The first car I see, I duck behind for cover because I fear for my life. I'm scared. I don't know what's going on. I don't understand why this officer is shooting his weapon at us. And I'm looking. I'm watching the officer. He's pursuing my friend now that he fired another shot. It struck my friend in the back. Then my friend stopped running. His hands immediately went in the air, and he turned around towards the officer face to face. He started to tell the officer that he was unarmed and that you should stop shooting me. Before he can get his second sentence out, the officer fired several more shots into his head and chest area. And he fell dramatically in a fatal position. I did not hear once he yelled, freeze, stop, or hope. It was just horrible to watch. <laughs> it hurt him a lot. I see it in his eyes, it hurt him a lot. It was definitely like being shot like an animal. It was almost like putting someone to execution. He was a peaceful person and he lived his life peaceful. I definitely think he's guilty of murder. Now, as I leave you, I just want people to consider that Dorian Johnson has no agenda other than seeing Darren Wilson held accountable for his actions. Darren Wilson has an agenda that he be justified so that he may walk free. That is all I have to say for people to consider what's going on. And please, research more about what happened in Brown's case. Because the amount of research I did shows holes in everybody's statements. The DOJ's, New York Times, CNN, uh, Fox News, PragerU. So many inconsistencies. So many. And it's 
detrimental to our democracy and the evolution of democracy in this country. <sighs> Thanks for joining my bummer out. This has been the Working Class Observer, the Class Warfare Report. You can find me on Twits, on Twitch, on YouTube. Uh, there's a blog. There's 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 tons of stuff out there. Like subscribe, dislike, hate. I don't I don't really give a fuck. Just watch Stranger Fruit. And uh, no justice, no peace.